Thank you. you. May be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Frank. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God? Were it not for grace. That's a good thing for us to think about. Uh, Where would we be but for the grace of God? Aren't you grateful for the salvation that we can have through Jesus' blood? Oh, come on, church. Are you grateful for salvation this morning? Let me ask you this. Are you grateful for the church God has raised up? Hey, church matters, amen? Church matters. And we're finding that as we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings. Uh, We've been doing it all year. We've made it here to chapter 10. And so as we've walked through, we've seen this reality that, that church really does matter. We have defined what matters to the church. Very early on, Paul said, I determined to know nothing but but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to tell you, that's what matters to the church, amen, that Jesus died for our sins was buried and rose again. Praise the Lord for that. And so we've seen what matters to the church, but we've also been dealing with matters that occur within the church. Matters of church discipline, matters of church doctrine, matters of church discernment. And this whole chapter that we've been on for about a month or more now is a a section based on what we might call Christian liberty. And Paul is addressing a question that the church of Corinth had about whether or not they had the freedom and liberty uh, to eat meat that was sacrificed to pagan idols. And so Paul here, over the course of these three or four chapters is really developing what it means that we do have liberty in Christ. And praise the Lord, we are free in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Romans tells us we're free from the law of sin and death. Uh, The Bible tells us that we're free from the burdens of the Mosaic law. But what we have learned is this, is that our freedom in Christ is not our license to do whatever we want. That's not what being free in Jesus is. Being free in Christ is not license to do whatever we want. What it is, though, is our empowerment to do what is right. Because true freedom, church, is a wonderful thing. But abused freedom is an enslaving thing. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 19 tells us as much, where the Bible says... While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants or slaves of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, he is brought the same as he brought in bondage. So true freedom is wonderful, but abused freedom is enslaving. So Paul has been teaching us that there are a number of things that ought to form and focus our liberty so that you and I can truly enjoy the fullness of what it means to be free in Christ. What are some of those things? In chapter 8, we found that our freedom ought to be focused and formed out of a love for the brethren. Meaning my freedom, it needs to be tempered, it needs to be formed as I live loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not here to run roughshod over you and do whatever I want. I'm here to love you and build you up. And so we temper our freedom, form and focus it through our love for the brethren. That was chapter 8. Chapter 9, Paul points out that our liberty ought to be formed and focused out of our love for the Lord and our commitment to the gospel. In other words, that, that, that 
God is so great and God is so wonderful and the gospel message is so needed that like an athlete, I'm going to say no to some things because I got a race I got to run. And, and, and because I know I got a race, I got to tell myself no so that I can run to the best of my ability. And so out of my love for the brethren, I'm going to form and focus my liberty. Out of my commitment to Christ and the gospel, I'm going to form and focus my liberty. Here in chapter 10, Paul's given us another side. He reminds us that as privileged as we are in Jesus, and boy, we are a privileged people, amen? As privileged as we are in Jesus... Our flesh is still prone to sin. And so as I consider my liberty in Christ, I have to remember that I still have a fleshly weakness to sin. And that ought to form and focus how I live in freedom. So here in chapter 10, we're going to continue to consider our sinful bent of the old man and how our old man really does wage a continual assault against our liberty in Christ. And I'm going to warn you this morning, Paul's going to call us to go a little bit deeper. As you notice in verse 15, Paul said, I speak to wise men. Judge ye or discern what I say. So in other words, as we go through it today, we're going to have to use our brains a little bit. And we're going to have to use some discernment. And we're going to consider this thought. So often we limit our understanding of liberty to that which is done in our outward life. I'm free in Christ, therefore I, you fill in the blank. So often we define our liberty in Christ by what we do in our outward life. But we're going to be reminded this morning that of greater consequence than our outer life is our inner life. More important than what our hands are doing is what our heart is doing. And this is the reality. You will never have true liberty on the outside until Jesus is on the throne on the inside. Church, do we want to know what it means to have full liberty and freedom in Christ? then Paul's going to walk us through this morning. It's time for you and I to address and tear down some idols of the heart. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to pick up in verse number 12. Paul said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. There's no temptation, no testing, no trial taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Read verse 14 in unison with me. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I want you to note first this morning, Roman numeral 1, our hearts are prone to idolatry. Our hearts are prone to idolatry. Now, it's easy for you and I sometimes to dismiss the idea of idolatry because most of us probably don't have little statues at home that we pray to every day. By the way, that's a good thing. You ought not have little statues at home that you pray to. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to saints gone by. We don't pray to some image that represents God. No, you and I, we go to the very throne of God, and there we find mercy and grace to help in time of need. 
And so it's easy to think because I don't have a little statue at home. I'm not really involved in idolatry. But remember, Paul said, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand. You may think you've got this mastered, but hold up. Take heed, lest he fall. Because idolatry is something that we can struggle with deeply. Because idolatry at its heart is a matter of the heart. Idolatry is something that even we as New Testament Christians are warned to flee and avoid. We see it in verse 14. Flee from idolatry. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number uh, 21, John writes this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Well, if idolatry is something that you and I can be prone to, we need to understand what idol and idolatry is. What is it? I think a good definition is an idol is something or someone that we give the love, honor, loyalty, respect, worship, and obedience that is reserved for God alone. An idol is something or someone that we give the love, honor, loyalty, respect, obedience that is reserved for God alone. We live in a culture of idolatry. I mean, we have a TV show in our country called American Idol. You look at the celebrity culture that exists. Our culture worships people, athletes, musicians, politicians. Let that one sit. Our culture worships status and money and material things. Our culture is full of idolatry. Now, let me stop here. God is good. And God has given us so many good things to enjoy in this life. James 1 and verse 17 reminds us of our Father that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In Psalm 84, we're reminded that the Lord God is a sun and shield. He is give grace and glory that no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. In Timothy, Paul writes that even as he admonishes the rich in this world, that God has given us richly things to enjoy. God is good. And you know what? God is good. And it is good for us to enjoy the good things that God has given us. But even good things can become idols. Even good things can become idols when they absorb your heart and imagination more than God. And when you heed to their promises as they promise to give you what only God can. How many of us this morning would be honest enough to to, to admit that our hearts can easily become prone to desiring the good of this life more than the God who gives life? How many of us be honest enough with ourselves to say, you know what? My heart easily can elevate the gift above the giver. That is idolatry. That's why in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, we're told to guard, to keep our heart with all diligence. Because out of it are the issues of life. Our hearts are prone to idolize people, things, and promises. 
And this is why the warning here is clear and strong. Let him that thinketh he stand take heed. Flee from idolatry. Idolatry is simply the worship of something or someone other than God. Worship simply means to recognize or demonstrate the worth of someone or something. So how can I, how can I determine what my heart is worshiping? How can I determine what, what sits on the throne of my heart? Let me give you a couple of questions. What do you feel worth your time? But look at it in a practical element. Where, where does your schedule go? What do you feel worth your time? What do you feel worth your attention? What do you feel worth your pursuits? What are you working towards in this life? What are you longing after? What do you feel worth your money? As you look at the bank statement and the credit card statement every month, what do you feel worth your money? What is always on your mind? I tell you, asking questions like that can really begin to help us discern what it is that our heart values, what it is that we place worth on. And once we identify what we value and put worth on, we are identifying what we are worshiping. It's easy to see that idols can be a very real problem in 2023 America. Many people worship money. What's the admonition Paul gave? 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10. Not that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? For the, what is it, church? Love of money is the root of all evil, which some having coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There are a lot of people out there who worship money. You know, there's a lot of people, even a lot of Christians in our culture who worship pleasure. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 reminds us this. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain, flee from, get rid of fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 18. The Bible says, flee fornication. Run from it. How many people do we see in our culture and even our churches? They worship pleasure. They worship what feels good, what sounds good, what they want in that moment. We have lost as a church, church, uh, culture and sadly many times as a church, we've lost the capacity to tell ourselves no. And ultimately what do we end up doing? Worshiping self. Worshiping feelings. I mentioned it earlier, many people in our culture worship politics and politicians. Many worship status. Our hearts are prone to idolatry. And so I ask us this morning, what is your heart prone to worship? It's good for us to stop and, and to take stock, to, to evaluate our heart. Because what you may be prone to worshiping may be different than what I'm prone to worshiping. But at the end of the day, the warning is clear. Our hearts are prone to idolatry. I want you to see how Paul continues to develop this. Look at verse number 15. He said, I speak to wise men. 
judgy what I say. He said, well, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are, are not they which eat of the sacrifice partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So what do we see first? We see, number one, that our hearts are prone to idolatry. But Paul points out, secondly, that our associations are more impactful than we realize. Our associations are more impactful than we realize. As Paul continues to consider the matter of guarding our hearts and framing our liberty, Paul demonstrates that who and what we choose to share our life with matters. He uses two illustrations. The second illustration he uses is of the nation of Israel and how they shared in the sacrifices. Many of the sacrifices that Israel would bring, they would bring it, the animal would be sacrificed, the Lord would get his portion, the priest would get their portion, and depending on the sacrifice, the people would actually get their portion. And in doing so, it recognized a shared life, a shared worship, that was taking place. Now, you and I, uh, we have something that we do. Communion. The Lord's Supper. We have a couple of opportunities to do that coming up in the not-too-distant future. But what happens when we come to the Lord's table? When you and I come to the Lord's table, there is a recognition that we are sharing in the Lord's life. The word communion, it means intimate fellowship. It means a deep sharing of life. By the way, a deep sharing of life requires more than an hour and a half on Sunday morning. It's who we are. It's how we live. A deep sharing of life. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded as we, as we take that memorial that he has left of his body and his blood, we are reminded that we share in Jesus' eternal life. We're reminded that we share in Jesus' abundant life. We're reminded that in Jesus we have newness of life. We're reminded that our life is bound in His. And here's the thing. We being many, if my life is bound in His and your life is bound in His, then guess what? Whether we like it or not, whether we like to turn around and greet our neighbor or not, We are all bound together in Christ. We're all bound together. Our shared life with Jesus and our shared life in Jesus is a defining factor for the Christian. And the point Paul is going to make is that the bottom line here, as we consider, remember the issue at the church of Corinth, is they wanted to know, because Zeus's burger barn, they had the best burgers in town. But to go there, I had to recognize that there was a pagan celebration taking place. Is it okay for me to go to Zeus's burger barn? You know, I don't worship Zeus, but is it still okay for me to go? Paul here 
the matter at hand, liberty and meat to idols. He says, while there is nothing inherently good or bad about meat, and while we, we learn in chapter 8, idols themselves are nothing. If they, are, they are gold, they are silver, they are wood, they are nothing. While there is nothing inherently good or bad about meat, while there is nothing, uh, while idols are not real, he says there is something inherently dangerous and even sinful about choosing to share my life with fleshly, sinful, demonic practices. Pagan parties, pagan places, pagan people. And the danger lies because though the idol is nothing, behind the idol is a very real spiritual darkness that enslaves the sinner and seeks to entrap the saint. Who and what you share your life with matters. Proverbs 9 and verse number 6 points this out. Forsake the foolish and live. Go in the way of understanding. Let me give you an illustration. Sometimes Christians have discussions about what kind of entertainment can Christians enjoy. What kind of music should we listen to? What kind of music can we listen to? What kind of shows should we watch? Can we watch? Should Christians go to the movies? What kind of movies? There's no end to discussion about Christian liberty and how we do or don't enjoy entertainment. Right? Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you hear Christian people say things like, it's a wonderful show except for the nudity and the uh, drugs and the uh, 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 cursing. And, uh, uh, the, it, but it's a, it really is a good show. And my response is, come on, guys. The psalmist says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. So some of the stuff is, is pretty cut and dry, right? I've also heard Christians say about music, well, I don't really listen to the words. I I just like the music. Let me ask you, Christian, as as we try to have, remember, be wise and have discernment, I have to ask myself, not just about the explicit content that's taking place, I also have to ask myself about the spirit behind it. What is it that's driving it? it Where is it that it's leading you? Because what we engage with, what we share our life with, what we allow unfettered access to our spirit does affect us more than we realize. Who and what we fellowship with, what we allow into our lives, I love you, but it demonstrates the direction that you're headed. None of us are immune to how people and things impact us. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 tells us this, Be not deceived. Evil communications, so evil companions, if we share our lives with evil, what will it do? It will corrupt good manners. Proverbs chapter 13, or I'm sorry, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We have here an example in Scripture of Demas. We see Demas several times uh, in the Word of God. Demas was a companion of Paul. Demas worked with Paul. But there came a point when what? Paul had to write of Demas that Demas had forsaken him, having what? Loved this present world. 
In other words, as we allow people, practices, influences into our heart and lives, the reality is, church, they affect you more than you realize. They influence you more than you realize. And so what are we admonished to do? We are admonished to consider our partnerships. I think sometimes we get mixed up the difference between being friends with and being friendly with. As a Christian, I ought to be friendly with everybody I can. I am to love my neighbor. I am to love my enemies. I am to love my brethren. I'm to be friendly with everyone I can. But being friendly with somebody is different than being friends with somebody. When I am friends with somebody, what am I doing? I am joining my life with theirs, and it is a recognition that our lives are pointed in a very similar direction. And so, Christians, we have to understand the concepts of being friendly with somebody is different than being being deep and abiding friends with somebody. Who you run with will determine where you end up. It's a silly example. But my kids started school the other week, and almost immediately they came home sounding like your kids. And I'm like, stop it. Well, so-and-so says it all the time. I'm like, I don't care. That's dumb. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And probably your kids came home sounding like mine, and for that I am sorry. But the reality is, who we run with will determine the direction we're going. That's a silly example of a very serious principle. If I join my life to ungodly entertainment, what direction is that going to point my heart? If I join my life to ungodly people, where is that going to point my heart? If I join my heart to ungodly pleasures, where is that going to point my heart? You see, the Bible is very clear. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 20. He, read, read this with me. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So church, we're admonished. Consider your partnerships. Well, there's nothing really wrong with, okay. But where is it going to take you? Consider your partnerships. Church, alongside of considering our partnerships, we also need to consider our passions and pursuits. Spiritual darkness is real. Spiritual darkness is real. And the thing about spiritual darkness, sometimes we think spiritual darkness is always going to show up like the boogeyman. And then we'll know, oh, not going there. But the problem with spiritual darkness is spiritual darkness can be really deceptive. That even Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. And Jesus said that if it were possible, he'd deceive the very elect. Spiritual darkness is real. And the problem is it can be really deceptive. And the problem is it is really dangerous. And our hearts are easily impacted. Consider your passions and your pursuits. What are you running after? And where is that going to leave you? It matters. As Christians, we are not, Paul makes it very clear. As Christians, we are not to have fellowship. That means we are not to have a shared life with devils and darkness. 
2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14 makes this clear. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, what shared life, what connection, what commonality does righteousness have with unrighteousness? The answer is none. What communion has light with darkness? Again, the answer is none. So we're admonished, first of all, to recognize that our hearts are prone to idolatry. Secondly, we're called to recognize that our associations are more impactful than we realize. Sometimes we don't start out wanting to idolize something, but because we, of what we allow, what we share our life with, we unintentionally begin to idolize things that we should not. I want you to see how Paul closes out this, chapter, or this section this morning. We're not going to finish the chapter until next week. No worries. Verse 21 and 22. Would you read it in unison with me? Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So we saw first that our hearts are prone to idolatry. If you recognize that, say amen. amen. We saw secondly that our associations are really very, are more impactful than we realize. I want you to see thirdly this morning, Paul draws us to a point of decision. And we see thirdly that our choices are really very simple and direct. Our choices are really very simple and direct. The scripture is clear. You cannot have true fellowship. You cannot have true shared life with Jesus and devils. Can't happen. You cannot walk in both light and darkness. You cannot serve both Christ and culture. Matthew 6 and verse number 24 reminds us that no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Like fire and water, they don't mix. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, continuing from where we left off, beginning in verse 15, Paul says, what conquered uh, hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer to all of that is none. And he says, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then we see the clear call. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He said, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Like fire and water, trying to share a life with Jesus and darkness, don't mix. And God does not tolerate split loyalties. Verse 22, it talks about provoking the Lord to jealousy. You know, I think sometimes uh, we immediately connect jealousy with a negative connotation. That's what we see often in our world, right? Jealous is a bad thing. But you know, jealous is not necessarily a bad thing. Think about from a, from a spouse standpoint. What if you were married and your spouse decided it would be a good idea uh, to post risque pictures of themselves online? 
How did that make you feel? Well, you'd say, no, that can't happen. Because you see, when two come together, they're they're one flesh. And the husband belongs to the wife and the wife to the husband. and, And we have that, we are one flesh. That's not for everybody else. The world would look at you and say, well, you're just insecure. No. It's a good thing to be jealous over what is right and rightfully yours. And I tell you, Christian, you're bought with a price. So God being a jealous God, he's not an insecure God, but Christian, we belong to him. We are his. We are his sons and daughters. We don't belong flaunting ourselves out in the world or running with darkness of this world. We belong to him. I'm going to tell you, it is a good and right thing for God to be passionate and protective of what is rightfully his. Scripture is clear. You cannot have true fellowship with Jesus and devils, light and darkness. And so the chief consideration for you and I is who or what am I choosing to join, to share my life with? Am I choosing to share my life with the light or the darkness? Because I cannot do both. Now, some at this point, people try to partition their life, like sections of a newspaper. We have the front page. We have the sports page. We have the business page. We have the comics. And so I'm this on Sunday and this on Monday and this when I come home and I'm this on Saturday when I'm out with the boys or the girls and we try to partition our lives uh, like like the sections of a newspaper. But I'm going to tell you, that's not how the Christian life works. We don't distinguish between secular parts of our lives and sacred parts of our lives because all of our lives belong to Jesus. Every bit of us belongs to Jesus. And Christian, who and what we choose to share our life with demonstrates who or what we value. And if I can bring it all the way back around, who or what we value is representative of who or what we worship. You know, I think an outward indication of inward worship is, I'll use the word obedience. In other words, who or what commands our attention? Who or what commands our respect in a practical way? To whom or to what am I submitting my time, my effort, or my substance? To whose will am I attentive to follow? We've talked about money. Money is often an idol, especially in our culture. What does money command of us? More, 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 more. There's no end to the more that money will command. And so if I worship money, I am going to sacrifice other elements of my life because I am chasing the almighty dollar. I'm going to sacrifice my family. I'm going to sacrifice my church. I'm going to sacrifice using my spiritual gifts. Why? Because money commands more, more, more. And if that's what I worship, that's what I'm chasing. We worship our feelings. We worship, our, 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 we worship pleasure. And, and I tell you, there are people who justify the most grotesque of sin. Why? Because, because their God is pleasure. And so they have to submit their will to that next thing, that next act, that next sight, that next thing. And they'll sacrifice their family. 
to the altar worshiping pleasure. They'll sacrifice their money to the altar worshiping pleasure. They'll sacrifice their dignity to the altar worshiping pleasure. An outward indication of my inward worship is who or what commands my attention, my respect in a practical way. To whom or what am I submitting my time, my effort, or my substance? To whose will am I attentive to follow? Well, what's Jesus' command for us? We see it in Matthew 16 and verse number 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man come after me, read it with me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's the thing I want to bring us to recognize this morning, church. That often in life, it's not until there is pressure or a problem that it is clear what we truly worship. But the thing about this life is this life will bring you to the place where you have to choose between competing alternatives. It is really only then that you discover where your real priorities lie. Because I can't have the position or the money I want and be the Christian or father I need to be. I can't indulge in my fleshly pleasures the way I want and follow Jesus the way I need to. Life will bring you to the place where you have to choose between competing priorities. And I'm going to tell you, it is when the pressure is on that we really begin to see who or what sits on the throne of our life. When you realize that you can't have it all, what will you hold on to and what will you let slip? That is when you truly see what your heart worships. And I'm going to tell you, church, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. You and I have to make the choice every single day to say no to the idols of self and culture and say yes to King Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to beat us up this morning about idols. I'm trying to encourage us because I'm going to tell you, money and pleasure and positions and politicians will promise you the world, but they won't deliver. King Jesus will never fail you. King Jesus will never fail you. And it's so sad to see Christians who jump from one idol to the next, to the next, to the next. Hey, let's just throw them all to the side. And let's just choose every day that I'm going to live my life with King Jesus on the throne because there is no freedom than knowing like King Jesus is on the throne. There is no peace like knowing that King Jesus is on the throne. There's no purpose like knowing that Jesus is on the throne. But we got to choose to make that decision every day. To dare to say no to the idols of self and culture and say yes to King Jesus. The world, the world tells you every day through media, through, through politicians, through your workplace, the world tells you every day you can have it all. I am sorry to tell you this morning, you cannot. 
The reality is we all face a, a limitation of time, of energy, of money, of location. We face limitations of biblical morality, what's right and wrong. At the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, you can't, you can't have it all in a worldly sense. Because at the end of the day, someone or something is sitting on the throne of your heart. Can I ask you this morning? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it that sits on the throne of your heart? What is it that's competing for the throne of your heart? There's a lot of things in this life that want to be worshipped by you. I'm going to tell you, money's not going to last. Pleasure doesn't really satisfy. Positions and powers, they will not endure. Jesus never fails. And the glorious truth is that I may not be able to have it all, but if I have Jesus, I have everything that matters. This morning, is King Jesus where he belongs? The beautiful thing is, even this morning, if you find some things are out of whack, the throne of heaven is open. And you are but a prayer away from King Jesus being right where he belongs.